Faith here with your podcast, Welcome Toast. It was Larry McCleary who said, contemplate that about 80% of the food on supermarket shelves didn't exist 100 years ago. Listen to our show in small bites or enjoy the whole thing. I got that sunshine in my pocket. Got that good soul in my feet. I feel that hot blood in my body when it drops. It's great to have you joining the party on the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze, inviting you to join us to eat, drink, and be merry. My treasured food buddies are here, but first I want to say here's what's ahead. The PBS film you have to see, it is called Gluten Free, whether it's about you, a family member, or someone you know. What an education this is. A $10 white wine that is a real find and simple green suppers that satisfy the way main dishes do. Here are the Treasured Food Buddies, senior contributors Chris Prosperi, Alex Province, Mark Raymond, and Bailey Pryor, the filmmaker. Hey, everybody. Hey. hey great to have you here. I thought it'd be really fun, everybody, if we started with a quiz. I always get uh, anxious uh, when people say quiz. Yeah, yeah do you see the sweat tests. coming down? I didn't bring my number two pencil. <laughs> do I, I need a do number two homework. pencil? You do. <laughs> This is that dream where you're naked at your locker, yeah. you know, or you, you know, you have the books and you haven't been to class and it's the final. Yes, okay, so yes. here we go. There is a site online that is about ranking. They interview people worldwide and they determine what are the most popular vegetables. We're doing this because it's kind of fun. We're getting into that season where... If you've got a grill and you use that and you start to do the vegetables on the grill, there are things Mm. coming into the market. But anyways, here it is. It's the rankings. I want to ask you, I'm going to go around. Robin Doyen Aiken is our senior producer. She's joining our crowd here. All of you, let's see what you say. What is the most popular vegetable anywhere? The number one vegetable. Alex, go. Carrot. (laughs) Okay, Robin. I'm going to guess tomato. Mm -hmm. I was going to say carrot, but since he took it, I'll say celery. Celery. Okay. Bailey? Mm, that's a very complex question, but I would say it's definitely got to be the tomato. Okay. And Mark? I'm going to say broccoli. All right. So, yeah, you know, if we, broccoli. Had, we, if we had a bad buzzer, <laughs> we'd all would, get it. You would all get it. Really? Yeah. To my surprise, it's the potato. Oh, oh, the workhorse. The tuber. I know. My okay. favorite. I know. I love yeah. potatoes. Where did this idea come from that potatoes aren't good for you and aren't healthy, that don't have and they have nothing in them that would benefit the human body? Where did that come from? If that was true, we wouldn't love them so much. Whole civilizations <laughs> existed on, on yeah, potatoes. Yeah. Okay, what is the number two on the world ranking And list? we were all out on number two, too? I'm not, of okay, course not. So we got to go back. I'm the administrator <laughs> right, of this, right. of this well, I don't final like exam. Okay. Okay, this is ranking of vegetables. <laughs> what do you think would be number two? Corn. Alex? Okay, Ooh. Alex, you just good guess. Robin, I, go ahead. I want to steal that answer now that now that Alex said that. I okay, think you're corn. going with corn, Chris. I'm going to go back to carrot because I think that's got to be in the top. And Bailey, possibly eggplant. Eggplant and Mark. Zucchini. Okay, it's that's corn. Hey. <laughs> Alex and that was Robin. A good one, Alex. <laughs> I'm just going to do two more, so you'll get the top four. So number three on the most popular, Alex. Which vegetable do you think it is? Green beans. Okay, and Robin. Oh, I want to go back to tomato again because uh-huh. I feel like that's got to be toward the top. Oh, okay, that's a good one. and uh, I'm going to be hardcore and stick with carrots. It's got to be in there somewhere. Okay, Chris <laughs> is trying with the carrots, <laughs> and Bailey. I'm still hunting, so radish. Radish. Okay, and um, Mark. I'm going to throw out lettuce. 
Okay, oh, so some of you who earlier chose this, I don't know why you abandoned it, but it's broccoli. Oh, what? I had that. Okay. That was my first choice. So on the world rankings, I mean, I know you would yeah. have thought. But so the number one is potato. Number two vegetable is sweet corn. And number three is broccoli. I'll do one more quickly. Oh, Chris, you want to go? No, I got to know where carrots is. Okay, I'm going to get to you in a minute. Okay. <laughs> okay, uh, number four, and then we're stopping. Green pepper. Okay. Uh, I'm, Robin. I'm sticking with tomato. Okay, and Chris? I'm going to go to, to uh, Mark's one and say zucchini. <laughs> Bailey? I'm going back to the uh, eggplant. Okay, and Mark, finally. Uh, I'm going to say green beans. On okay, tomato, Robin. Yeah. All right. Yes. <laughs> okay. They're the favorite in my house. Chris, you will be happy to know that carrot is number five. See, I just had to keep going. <laughs> so, I would have got it eventually. A lot of you have hit on things that are just, you know, in the top ten, after mm. potato, sweet corn, broccoli, and tomato, then carrot is number five. Green bean is six. Garlic is seven. What about garlic? I yeah, just wow. wasn't oh, in yeah. my mind as I would not it think is of it as a vegetable. It's a vegetable, weirdly. Yeah. Yeah. seasoning, I think. Then, of course, onion. Yeah. Garlic is ahead of onion. I would have thought onion was probably number three. Yeah. Uh, cucumber, and oh, then finally yeah. number cucumber. 10 is spinach. Where's celery? And then we go Where's on lettuce? and on. Everyone has celery in their fridge. I would so, thought that was going to be way so up there. So, unfortunately, I did not print this past number 12. <laughs> did it go all the way to? <laughs> it went to sweet potato, peas, yeah. mushrooms, yeah. and it was their 76 rankings. Yeah. So, there you go. Oh, it's just wow. interesting. Right now, so many good things in the market. We have fennel. Asparagus. Asparagus is, here. is still here. Chris, does oh. the white asparagus come out at the same time as the green? Yeah, but remember, white asparagus is the same as green. It's just grown in the dark, so it doesn't get chlorophyll. Right? So it so tastes I, the same. It, but they always sell yeah. it fatter. Yeah. Here's the thing about asparagus. Jacques Pepin taught me about this. One day we were at the market and we were getting stuff, and he said, Why are you picking that? pencil thin asparagus and i said well isn't it more tender isn't it better he said no get the fattest asparagus you can get no difference in taste so why would you give up quantity so and i don't know i like the and not just that but i like the fatter ones because there's more substance there's more stuff to bite into my mom especially loves the little ones and she grills them to like ultra ultra like almost charred and then they're i like there's them there's nothing to them yeah. yeah but then there's nothing to them but when you get the big ones you can go crunch and if you like them crunchy the way i do not yeah. crunchy in in terms of how long they're cooked but yeah. browned yeah. yeah so that when you have lemon and butter on them oh, oh or a little grated cheese it's just phenomenal mm-hmm. what about what about one end of the asparagus versus the other i always go for the tip and i usually don't eat the uh, the base oh, really prior that is so interesting yeah do you need to to cut yeah. them in half yeah. and mix them together. Really? I don't have a choice. Ah. Yeah, then it's all. There you go. Yeah, I'm okay. a big chopper. I never, it's funny because I never serve my asparagus whole. Nice. For that same cut reason. them out of diagonal. Yeah, I cut them yeah. whatever. I cut them up so you got to eat the yeah. whole thing. Because otherwise, think, people stop at a certain. Yeah. When you watch you people, do. they yeah. stop at a certain <laughs> point. Stop at like, a certain point. I, th- I think Bailey's onto this. That <laughs> we're onto the great asparagus <laughs> dilemma right now. The, yeah. the tip is cooks faster, don't you think, Chris? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. it's usually and so thinner. When you're eating one whole spear, by the time you get to the bottom, it starts to feel a little tougher, Crunchy. and so you think, fibrous. Mm, should I eat this? But it really is cooking time. All right. So on that whole topic of asparagus you know there's two schools of thought there is the where you snap it in half to prepare it mm-hmm. and uh, the the hard or the tough part breaks off on the bottom mm-hmm. and all the tender part stays mm-hmm. to the top 
And then there's where you peel it yep. down peel at the it, bottom. And that way you yep. get rid of all that toughness mm-hmm. and you get all that goodness still. Mm-hmm. And you're not wasting so True. much. Chris Presbury, what do you do? do you, is peeling the way to get at the home, most asparagus? At home, break. <laughs> at work, sous chef, peel. Uh-huh. <laughs> for, for quantity? For quantity. And you're not wasting. But you can make with the ends. You can make soups with it. You can do other stuff with it that you don't have to. So you put it in your stock stuff? You can put like it in your, your stocks. Yeah, yeah, you can do a lot of different things with it. But at work, we use it all. Yeah, and you can do it in your pasta in that yep. real Italian mm. way where you're dicing up fine and cooking yeah, all totally. that stuff together to put oh, on yeah. your pasta. I don't or know your why. risotto. So just oh, before yeah. we move on, why don't more people slice it? I love chopping it nice little thin on discs a pizza. and just putting mm. it in pastas or on pizza or whatever I don't instead know. of Chicken. serving long pieces. I never do yeah. that. Or you said it right in a risotto. It's amazing in a risotto. When you I chop, chop it up, up nice in small, small pieces. Yeah. In risotto, they use mm-hmm. that mandolin and they sure. slice it. Thin. Oh, that's yeah. a good way to do it too. Yeah. yeah, you know, or that little peeler thing, yeah. and they yeah. slice yeah. up yeah. little pieces of it, thin slices, and, it and curls. that's delicious. Oh, oh yeah. Okay. All right. All right. You want to do a wine tasting because yes. how can we not? We're getting into the white wine season. Mark found this for us. This is a white that really has a creamy richness to it. Mm. It's very dry and yet has body. And so unlike some inexpensive, this is like $10, $11 a bottle. Unlike some inexpensive whites where there's nothing to them, this has something going has on body. with it. Yeah. The vineyard is barren. Delay. Now, don't worry, because if you go to foodschmooze.org, we have a picture of the label, we have the price, the details, and all you do is look at that, and Mm. you can either bring it on your phone to the wine store or call them up and spell it if you don't know how to pronounce it. We try to make it as easy as possible, foodschmooze.org. Mark, tell us about Baron Delay. This is a white Rioja. Normally, we think Rioja red, but they also make some beautiful whites, and at this price, this is a find. This is a wonderful white blend that has this crispness about it, but it's got a little creaminess on the finish, and it's really just so versatile. It goes with just about anything except red sauce. Yeah. I mean, any we were fish, just talking about meat, asparagus. Any... I'm thinking like What's crab meat and sauce? asparagus. In a but... pinch? <laughs> if you had <laughs> it. In a pinch? Come on. <laughs> but it's, it's a blend. It's a white blend. It's Viuda predominantly, which is a white grape from Rioja with a little bit of Verdejo, and then a touch of Malvasia in there, about 3%. And what does the Malvasia do? And that, that brings a little creaminess to the finish. And oh. what's really unique with the white grapes here, whites from Rioja can tend to be a little oxidized. And so what they do is they pack them. What as does soon oxidized as, mean for people so, who don't follow this? So they get sort of a... Like sherry. Yeah. They get kind of tired and they get sort of a flabbiness on the palate. And they don't feel vibrant and vivacious. Mm. So what they do is immediately as they're picking the grapes in the vineyards and they put them into the, into the baskets, they cover them with dry ice. And that prevents that oxidation or fermentation from starting until they get them to where they're going to press the grapes. What a clever technique. This shows what hand harvesting does at these vineyards. That is going to give a feel and actual quality to something. Anyway, there's plenty of this in our market right now. It goes with absolutely everything, maybe except, as um, Alex says, in a pinch. Go to foodschmooze.org. Alex, you said before the show something that I thought was so interesting about the roots of these plants. Dry farmed. 
so there's no irrigation. So these right. roots are going down that 100 feet. That seems like a bad feet. thing. No, yeah. it's a good thing. The, the vines, they've won the varietals that evolved in Spain or, or France or Italy in whatever case. And because they're dry farm, the roots have to go down 100 feet looking for water. So they're going through all the soil types, all the minerals. And so when they suck up moisture, they're sucking up minerals. And so that wine has flavor that's coming from the soil versus a coddled vine that's irrigated, has really shallow roots, that's highly fertilized, that produces a lot of fruit, but it's low quality fruit. This is stressed. (laughs) The best grapes in the world come from places where they suffer. They have to really struggle to grow. Huh? Oh yeah. That is, my, it's are, it's are the my, opposite of what you think. Are my yeah. tomato plants listening right now? Are, are, you're gonna have the best you... tomato plants. But it's a, it's the same <laughs> idea with like an ugly pepper. So it's the ugly peppers that you know that aren't perfect that smell so intensely and are so real versus mm-hmm. the perfect thing that has no flavor but looks good. Now here's the question: Learning all this we just learned, which I find fascinating. I have to tell you, for a ten dollar, eleven dollar bottle of wine, what does this add? To the experience of drinking the wine, tasting it in your mouth. Flavor. Does it, for all of you, does it add something for you to know all this? It's easy to add sugar. So wines, inexpensive wines usually are higher in sugar content. And sugar is just like adding sugar to bad coffee. It, it sort of masks everything. When wines are dry but have flavor, th- there's a lot more to it than simple sugar. They're right. dry, so you're getting, you're smelling fruits like lime peel or lemons or pineapple, ma- pineapple or, or all sorts of grasses. So is, is it fair to say that it is appreciation? The appreciation factor goes up. You're drinking a $10, $11 bottle of wine right now. It right. has a richness and creaminess that many, many whites at this price don't have. It's hand harvested. We've heard about the technique with the roots in some of these European wines, the grapes that Mark is talking about, this technique where they apply ice to it, even shipping it back to the processing plant. Mm-hmm. Amazing that a family farm would do this. For me, it makes me really appreciate what I've got in my hand. An absolutely, absolutely. Because it, it really, you know, it, there's something about fermentation too that's really important. And, and the process of timing your fermentation is hugely important. If you start the fermentation the minute the grape has been clipped, and it sits for a while, which would happen in a big industrial environment, the grape is actually starting to ferment on its own naturally. There's natural yeasts in the air, so that's beginning. So you're converting the sugars in that grape into alcohol and CO2 right at that stage. So if you then throw it all into a fermentation tank and do it again with a controlled yeast that you throw in there, you're now really exhausting that fermentation. You might get up to a 9 10%, 12% wine, but eventually you might have to rescue that wine with an additive later, as you guys were mentioning. You know, rescue put, in terms of flavor? Put sugars in there and things like that to kind of bring it back to life, make it a little more interesting because now it's gotten really dry or really boring on the palate. And lack of wholesomeness. That's where it all disappears. We have a minute left, but I hope that the wine world will have to be, they're going to be probably kick dragging and screaming to have labels on the wine bottles <laughs> mm-hmm. that say what is the sugar content what is in this wine added exactly any what added, ingredients? added ingredients Absolutely. they do it okay. with food they should do it so with wine so we love we think this is great Baron Delay it's at foodschmooze.org 2015 White Rioja, $10, $11 a bottle, the distributor worldwide. You'll see it at our website with a picture of the label. And I'm having a sip right now. Mm. Absolutely. My, one of my, this is going to be one <laughs> yeah, of my this, go-to this summer wines. This is wine. a summer Love wine, this. right? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And it's in the market right now. Absolutely. And it's very good quantity. So not to worry. Here's what we've got coming up. 
We have Bailey Pryor, who's done the film, Gluten-Free, and it is an education for if it's you, if it's a family member. We are taking a stand right now against these people who say this stuff isn't real. Of course it's real. (laughs) Maybe heart disease isn't real. I mean, really, this is a real thing. And this film is a real education, fascinating, beautifully shot, and PBS picked it up. Okay, so we're excited. It's on our station, too, CPTV. More mouth-watering conversation and fun ahead on the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze. I hope you will make a charitable contribution to Feed the Hungry. They are many. We're online now at foodschmooze.org, and we'll be right back. It's good to be alive right about now. Cornbread said, now that's all right. Meet me on the corner tomorrow night. This is the Food Schmooze Party, offering the richness of life and coming to you in Connecticut, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, and New York. New York, including Westchester County, the east end of Long Island, the Hamptons, of course. The senior producer is Robin Doyon Aiken. And to hear the show on WNPR, it airs Thursdays at 3 and Saturdays at noon. Podcasts and our curated recommendations are always online, as you know, at foodschmooze.org. Of course, we're on Facebook, too. All right. I want to tell you about this film that I just saw. It is called Gluten-Free. Now, if you are gluten-sensitive and don't understand what ha- what's happening to you, you have family or friends who are, this is way more than a fad, as people like to pretend it's a fad. This is a real thing that is happening to people. You go to gastrodocs at big famous institutions, and they say, yes zillions more people are coming in with these gastro symptoms. What is this about? We don't understand it yet. That's where this film is so enlightening. It's so good that PBS took it, including our station, Connecticut Public Television. It will air gluten-free on May 17th at 11, so set your DVR. It's worth your time, gluten-free. And we have the filmmaker, Bailey Pryor, here. Welcome to the Fuchmus, as you know. Thanks Um, for having me, Faith. Oh, my goodness. So, Bailey... In a nutshell, are you aggravated? You spent four years making this film. Uh, you just about that time, yeah. All over the world yes. to interview people. Yeah, we shot in Italy. We shot in India for part of it. We were all over the world. So yes. what would you say is your big takeaway for why this gluten sensitivity is increasing and as high as it is? The big takeaway is that people just don't know what causes it. Gluten-related illnesses are very misunderstood. The medical community doesn't understand why someone, you know, goes 70 years in their life having no problem with gluten at all, and then something Mm -hmm. happens to them, and overnight they have celiac disease, and we don't know why. There's no biomarker that anybody's been able to detect with a gene or blood test or anything like that. So it's extremely misunderstood. However, all this research is leading to links to all sorts of different ailments. So everything from infertility to autism to Parkinson's disease, all sorts of things. So they're linking the food we eat to 
potentially 50 major illnesses. And so mm -hmm. it's highly misunderstood, and they're doing a lot of research on it. You know, here you would say, well, here's a film that says we don't know why. You know, how's that going to be interesting? But I promise you, it really is interesting. The goal really is to get people to understand that there are serious problems with gluten, and the fact that there's a little bit of misinformation about gluten, because several famous people have come out with cookbooks and things like that, and they've, they're kind of turning it into a fad diet, maybe not intentionally. But it's definitely not a fad diet issue. This is something where, you know, if you have gluten sensitivity, you immediately know it. You eat gluten and you have serious gastrointestinal problems. If you have celiac disease, you can actually die from eating gluten. And the yes. thing about celiac that I never understood before I started making this movie is that essentially what's happening is every time you eat gluten, your immune system reacts in a negative way and starts to attack your own body. And what it does is it kills all the villi in your large intestine. And basically, you can starve to death while eating every single day. You're not getting any of the nutrients. So you can actually die from this. And you will see children who they don't know are celiac who appear smaller than everybody else. Right. And sometimes never actually catch up from that. Um, mood disorders, depression, even with gluten sensitivity, hair falling out like crazy, and you're thinking, what in the world? Sure. Inability to work, people can't yeah. think, they can't concentrate, there's all sorts Brain of things. Fog, yeah. yeah, exactly. So you talked to, which wow. is, I think, the most heartening thing about the film is that you talk to people who, you know, this is not a bunch of health food nuts. These are serious scientists who spent entire careers, yes. long before this was a buzz phrase, trying to understand, seeing that this was happening, and what is this about, right? Yes, I mean, Dr. Alessio Fasano is probably the lead character in the film, and he's up in, at Massachusetts General Hospital. And, you know, I mean, it took me about four years to make this movie, so we had lots of time to really research what we were, what we were investigating and who was going to appear in the film. And it's such an interesting thing because there are several major investigations into gluten going on right now, lots of scientific research. But the thing that was really amazing to me is I went over to the National Restaurant Association and we interviewed them, and they came back with their statistics. They've done investigations into the number of people who work in restaurants, asking head chefs and people like that, do you know what are the three grains that are related to gluten? And less than 25% of the people they questioned knew, these are chefs in restaurants, knew which grains would cause so gluten-related So wheat, barley, and malt. And, and, and rye, yes. And rye, yeah. yeah. Imagine that. So people they have a good intentions, but they don't understand, right? And so the point of the film was, for me was to elevate everybody's awareness about cross-contamination. That's probably the biggest problem in America. So what does Dr. Fasano say? What would you say are his lead theories beyond we don't know for certain yet? Well, we know that it's related to wheat. You know, it's related to grains, mm -hmm. right? And so if you're not eating grains, you're not going to have a problem with this. So it's a great disease in that regard. If you're going to have a disease, it's the best disease because all you do is change your eating habits. You don't have to have surgery. You don't have to have, take medicine. You just change your eating habits. So you can cure yourself at the dinner table. That's a, a good thing. But from Dr. Fasano's perspective, I don't want to speak for him, but mm. he certainly was very aware of the fact that there was a lot of linkage to other types of autoimmune diseases. And so he wasn't sure whether it was other autoimmune diseases that linked to this or this linked to other autoimmune diseases, mm. whether all of this is related to the gut or is it all related to the brain and the chemicals in the gut are causing some of the brain chemicals to change. It's all unknown. It's mm -hmm. such a complex system that we have. What you hear mm. going around is this idea that gluten intolerance or celiac has been caused by the modern production techniques Hmm. of wheat. In the film, they It can say also be the modern wheat itself. There are theories that today's Emmer and Durham wheats, for example, have 24 and 48 chromosomes. But the earliest wheats, like einkorn, only have 12 chromosomes. So hmm. that they may, may well. be easier for the human body to process. One of the great analogies I heard one of the doctors say was, he said, 
Think about how much wheat you eat every day. You might have toast at breakfast, a sandwich at lunch. You might have a nice baguette with your spaghetti at dinner. Keep going, right? right? And wheat is in everything. Every one of those things, right? So now imagine instead of eating that wheat, just go out onto your front lawn and rip out a handful of grass because wheat is a grass. Sure. Now, if you ate grass, a handful of grass, three times a day, what do you think that would do to your intestinal system? Your yeah. gastrointestinal tract would be in havoc. We don't eat grass. <laughs> we don't eat grass. It takes cows seven <laughs> yeah. stomachs to process or multiple yeah. stomachs to process grass. So yeah. what's happening is the wheat from 15,000 years ago, which was the original einkorn wheat that humans were cultivating, has hybridized naturally over 15,000 years with grass and become what we eat today, which is emmer and durum. This mm. is just one theory, but it is one of the standing theories that that could be the issue. This is the one that always gets me. Why me and not you? Why you and not me? Do you know what I mean? Do they have any idea they, of why? They have no idea, Some people... and they can't even get the spectrum. They can't say, well, it's in this sector of the community. Like people who live in cities or people who live you know, rurally or, or African-Americans or Asian-Americans or whatever. They can't find any older people or younger people. It's got no foundation to it. And it's nothing really in genes, nothing in anything. So far, nothing. Yeah. But now... You, are we seeing hmm. are we seeing that same type of issue in like Europe or you are seeing it in Europe you're seeing it in the in the developed world but another interesting theory that one of our other folks in the film talks about is the cleanliness theory right and, and you're seeing more and more of this discussion happening today where we think that in the developed community that our children are exposed to too much cleanliness they're not getting enough dirt right because we're always sanitizing and cleaning and washing everything all the time we're afraid of germs right but when you go to places like India, I've been told that they have almost none of these autoimmune disease issues in India where they're not cleaning everything so much and the kids aren't growing up in these highly sanitized environments. So there may be something related to that. But again, you're talking about things that are happening within a generation. It's very difficult to, to study that. And, and here's, here's a, uh, once you, if you have gluten-free friends or, or celiac friends, mm -hmm. you begin to learn, as I have, how much wheat there Absolutely. is in everything. Absolutely. They in are everything. putting it in chicken it's to in add to the weight of the chicken like on the scale. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. They are they put it in putting, soy sauce. It's, they in, put, was, it's in beer. There's it's in wasabi, yeah. even for people who like sushi. Is it because like we sushi. grow so much it, wheat? Is that it's why? in soup. It's yeah. in ketchup. I mean, no, it's, it's in everything. It, it gives a it gives a mouthfeel and it gives a density to certain foods. So there's something called vital gluten that is a manufactured product. They're taking gluten and they're concentrating it, you know, thousands of times. So you have this intense amount of gluten. And they take the vital gluten and put that in certain baked goods, for example. So if you have a, a, a cake that you can squeeze the cake and let go and it bounces back, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's got tons of gluten in it. That's so what the gluten does. How, hmm. how far back does celiac disease and gluten sensitivity go that we know of? We don't really know a lot about that because up until about, I would say in my, my father's generation, you know, 40 years ago, 45 years ago, they would have called this irritable bowel syndrome. Mm -hmm. They didn't know what it was. Wow. So the classic Like a catch-all Yeah, of. just a catch-all of, you know, you might have all kinds of different ailments. So again, this is a, a relatively new, you know, 25-year or so uh, arena of research. But in the end, since we don't know where it comes from or why people get it, but we do know that it does cause negative things to the human body, right? You can have wheat allergies. That's different. There's gluten sensitivity or gluten intolerance, people are calling it now. And that gives you a serious gastrointestinal problem. So you absolutely know if you're gluten intolerant. And if you have celiac, well, that's, that's very, As very in serious. severe pain. Severe, severe pain. You know, severe people pain. go on ambulance rides. They call ambulances and things like that. Mm -hmm. wow. So if you know someone who has a gluten intolerance or celiac disease or an allergy, 
and they come over to your house for dinner, what can you do? Right? This is why I made this film, because there's millions of people in the United States that have this problem. We all know them. They're mm -hmm. friends of ours. They're our loved ones. And how much so does it take? How much does it take? 20 parts per million. So literally, wow. if, you had, if, you had, if you had a flour in your kitchen, you were using yeah. flour to make bread, you clean the entire kitchen and come back the next day, there will be enough particulate matter in the air now, from that original celiac. To, this to is her to celiac, blown celiac. celiac disease. Yeah. That's yeah. a whole other ballgame. But um, gluten sensitivity is not that it's not, extreme. It's not that extreme, but you, they can still suffer from cross-contamination. There was a big thing that, that we talk about in the film regarding a large pizza manufacturer. They had bought gluten-free dough, and they said, hey, we are, we're offering gluten-free pizzas. Right. And so the general consumer was walking in and saying, oh, I'm, I've got gluten sensitivity. I'll get that gluten free pizza. Well, they're taking the same knife that cut the pizzas that, for the gluten free that they mm -hmm. use to cut the, mm. the, the regular mm -hmm. pizza. Yeah. And they use the same flour on the, flour board. On the spreading flour <laughs> on the board and, and the, the same air. spatula and it's yeah. all in the air. So that's not a gluten free pizza. And yeah. people were getting sick. Right. And they just didn't know this. Yeah. And that was why the restaurant association conversation was so important. We had people so come into our kitchen to show us. Yeah. Wow. I just want to say, if it's you or some family member or someone you know, and you want to learn about this, by itself, it is a fascinating documentary that uh, Bailey Pryor has done. PBS has picked it up. It'll run on stations across the country. Uh, and we have two, Connecticut Public Television. Ours uh, will be Wednesday, May 17th at 11 p.m. So we're saying set your DVR. CPTV will be airing this going forward several times a month because we're talking now about multiple millions of people around the country who are either gluten sensitive or have crossed into full-blown celiac disease. This is not a fad. This is a real medical problem. Thank you, Bailey Pryor. Thank you, Faith. So we've got a few minutes left, and I wanted to jump in with, you know how we do this thing about a discovery, and one time we were talking about smoothies, and so I have come upon one that is so delicious, and I just wanted to tell you about this. It's called the Cherry Bomb Smoothie. Oh, Cherry and Bomb. Yes, right. <laughs> it is. Um, this is comes from Mark Hyman, who's uh, at the Cleveland Clinic, mm -hmm. and he's done this book, Eat Fat, Get Thin. And this huh. is the easiest thing in the world. If, in fact, for people who, if you've got a, a mom who's a smoothie and Mother's Day is coming up, <laughs> believe me. But it's just, just a fantastic way to start the day. So you've got a blender set up on your counter, mm -hmm. and you've got a couple cups of almond milk. So, Bailey, this is gluten-free. You've got a cup of frozen pitted sweet cherries. You could use fresh if you want, but the nice. frozen ones are around a lot. And then just a dash of each of these things, ground cinnamon, nutmeg, and ginger. You just whirl that up, touch of vanilla, and coconut butter, which is oh, wow. really... Oh, I found that recently. Mark Hyman says uh -huh. it's fantastic for the body. So it's about 490 calories, this thing. Whiz, okay. whiz it up. If you want it to be frozen because it's hot or whatever, you could throw some ice cubes in. But really, it's that simple. So a couple cups of almond milk or uh, whatever nut milk you want, frozen pitted sweet cherries, a dash of ground cinnamon, nutmeg, and ginger, just a little bit of vanilla, and a tablespoon of coconut butter. Whir it up in the blender, and you have the cherry bomb smoothie. Breakfast. <laughs> Amazing. That just makes you want to get up in the morning. I'm you telling say, you. Oh, I can't wait to get down there. Yeah, I like me it. right over to the blender. I have my <laughs> it's, it's really delicious. Yeah. Absolutely delicious. And I thought, is this going to be good with the frozen cherries? Yes, is the answer. Oh, There's yeah. no sugar in here, you know, so you've got the that sweet reference from the vanilla, and sure. it has a richness from the coconut mm. butter. Those oh, yeah. cherries have their own sweetness. And coconut it, butter, you find it next to butter? 
You it's find a, it in um, health food stores okay. mostly, but you know there are ways it, if you look like online. It's like a stick. You can make it. A stick of butter. <laughs> it's, right. in a, it's in a little container. <laughs> mm, can I use it on my toast? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, on your face and your skin. Oh, yeah, on your skin. <laughs> Great skin. Right. Yeah. <laughs> okay, here we go, my friends. Rubbing your breakfast all over your face. <laughs> oh. Coming up, we have um, vegetarian meals that feel like a real main. That you know you think it has meat in it. These are really mm. really good. And it's that season, so stay with us for that. We love the local. Please support your local food growers and food makers for on-demand podcast delivery of the Food Schmooze Party every week. And to find terrific food, wine, cocktails, restaurant recommendations, hot topics, our short, fun streaming videos, and the recipes we feature, we are always online talking with you at foodschmooze.org. We'll be right back. to say this before you can sign up for our free podcast that we send to you every week so you can listen on your schedule you don't have to go with our schedule i mean it is fun to listen on the radio or on computer when the thing is really happening but you know our lives are so busy so that's why we set up a podcast like so many other people and these things are becoming increasingly popular so if you go to food schmooze you know the one <laughs> foodschmooze.org which signifies a nonprofit, foodschmooze.org it says sign up for the podcast you just put your information in one time and you are good to go you might think we've got this great cookbook author coming up you might think that this is the only special announcement I have for you, but I actually have one more because I was asked to do a documentary for television for CPTV. I jumped at the chance because the subject is Carlos Quatrito of Carlos Pasta, which is based in South Windsor, Connecticut, and is now international. This is a woman who, on her own, with her husband speaking no English, came to the United States. You will see Carlos Pasta in many, many supermarkets in the frozen department with the sauces. I toured the factory. It is so astonishingly pure in terms of ingredients. They even have a gluten-free pasta. Anyway, uh, we're going to have a big celebration of her and women's leadership. On Thursday, June 1st, you are invited 6 p.m. at the Hartford Marriott downtown. Tickets are $150 each. Dress is business attire, cocktail hour, dinner, scholarship award presentation, and a sneak peek of the upcoming documentary on CPTV, the interview I conducted with Carla. She so is cool. one, thank you, Chris, fascinating person. So go to CPBN, Connecticut Public Broadcasting Network, cpbn.org, and just click on events, and you'll see it, and you can sign up. An immigrant in the 1940s, she is today a stellar entrepreneur and has built an extraordinary company also now with her family, and the woman is an amazing human being. Great story. Right? Yeah. It's an American story. Yeah. It's such She's a, a pioneer. Story. Yeah. She is a pioneer, mm -hmm. and it is the story of how, yeah. what, how many families, how yeah. all of us, I mean, mm -hmm. who came here. Yeah. I'm very, very proud to be a part of this because I love this product and I love this woman. So, uh, cpbn.org and click on events. 
Here we go, my friends. This is really a book that I think is terrific. It's called Simple Green Suppers. Mm. Here's the question. How do you get a green supper with lots of vegetables as they're coming out and more and more as the season goes on? How do you get them to taste like and feel like you're having a main dish where you're not, your head isn't on a swivel? You're not saying to yourself, what else is there? I think I'll go home and have real dinner. You just say, wow, this is, this is it. That's what our author, Susie Middleton, has done. She's got a farm now out on Martha's Vineyard. You may remember her name because she's done other cookbooks we featured on the show. She's really good. Great curator of recipes and vegetables and fruits and everything else. Used to be a fine cooking. Okay. So Simple Green Supper, Susie Middleton. Welcome to the Food Schmooze. Welcome back, I should say. Oh, Faith, I'm so glad to be with you guys today. Thanks for having me. Before we get to your avocado toast, one of my favorite things, um, tell me, what, what's, what's your philosophy with this? Have I got it kind of right? Yeah, definitely. Well, you know, I kind of tiptoed over the line from eating a lot of vegetables to eating vegetarian a few years ago, and I was facing this, well, how do I get a quick supper on the table every night? I've got my fresh veggies, now what do I do? And I figured out that doing a pantry refresh and really concentrating on having good things in your pantry that you can turn into quick suppers. And so I divided Simple Green Suppers into chapters organized by the pantry ingredients, noodles, grains, beans and legumes, leaves, toast, tortillas, eggs, and broth. And so the recipes are arranged um, by pairing Hmm. those things with the vegetables. So vegetables plus one. Yeah, and that one might be any of the things you mentioned. And that yeah. stuff that you've chosen is what makes this, give this this, this umami kind of feeling, like it's kind of meatiness. Fullness. Mm. That and um, I've got about 30 little quick sauces in the book that you can make ahead. And I have a lot of make-ahead tips, too, so that there's little flavor boosters, which, as you know, is kind of mm-hmm. one of my things. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> you, can, you know, you take your pantry staple, your fresh veggies, and a quick little sauce, and, boy, you've got something pretty good pretty fast. It's not going to come probably as a surprise to you as you as you listen to this show that avocado toast has become a thing. <laughs> so, you know, restaurants, uh, people's kitchens. I mean, it's a thing. It's a meal. The question is, now chefs are starting to get adventurous with this avocado toast. And I love this because it's becoming even more delicious. I love avocado. I love the crunchiness of a piece of toast. You know, the question is, what could you do with just the mashed avocado? and the toast to make it sing and be just crazy good where you think, wow, this is a meal all by itself. So this is Susie Middleton's avocado toast with no relation, by the way, Um, (laughs) baby kale, blue cheese, pecans, quick pickled radishes. In other words, do them really super fast and a little drizzle of honey. Tell me about this. Two toasts per person. Oh, it's so good. Um, it, well, it has a little baby kale salad on it, and I take this lemon and olive oil that I dress the kale with, and I first toss the sliced radishes with it. So the quick pickled radishes are, are instant, instant. And this is a toast that has layers of flavor. We start with spreading with a warm toast, and I really like putting your toast under the broiler or on the grill so it gets crisp on the outside and still a little tender on the inside. Mm. So spread some blue cheese, your favorite blue cheese. If you don't like blue cheese, you could do some goat cheese. Then layer on your avocados. Then you take your little baby kale, toss it with a little of the lemon and olive oil, sprinkle that over the avocados, toss on some toasted pecans, um, and garnish with your quick pickled radishes and a little drizzle of honey. And 
really, this is so incredibly satisfying. I know. So you Sounds didn't, good. some people will mash the avocado. You slice it I do. and put it on. You More like even, a yeah. composed salad on toast, but it's still oh, edible. <laughs> sounds oh, yeah. so incredible to me. And I have to say, because we didn't make this one, but we did make the next one. We're going to tell you about this. And <laughs> oh, it good. was wildly good. Oh, um, so so this is the avocado toast. Susie Middleton, her book, Simple Green Suppers. And her idea is the greens and then plus one. And she goes through all the what the plus one opportunities are grains, noodles, beans, leaves, toast, tortillas, eggs, broth. You just heard us do the one with the plus one as toast. Yeah, toast um, is my favorite chapter. I hate <laughs> 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 I admit it. You're not supposed to play, play favorites, but there's some darn good recipes in there. Okay, so I want to go, go to Chris Prosperi now. By the way, I'm with Alex Province, our senior contributors of Hartford. He's also a wine broker. Chris Prosperi of Metro Beast Restaurant in Simsbury, Connecticut. Bailey Pryor, the filmmaker. Robin Doyon Aiken, and we have Mark Raymond, wine broker of Weathersfield. So, Chris, tell me about this, because we asked you to make this for us. This was uh, baby potato, greens, Hi, <laughs> uh, baby potato, greens, garlic, and chickpea hash. Okay. Wow. But when I first started cooking, I fed macrobiotics in a restaurant in Florida. And this kind of cooking kind of bring me back to that. And the hardest thing we had to do cooking for macrobiotics is making them feel satisfied. And it wasn't just a feeling of, oh, this tastes good. It was more their bodies were satisfied, right? They got the proteins, the Mm -hmm. amino acids they needed. I think she's definitely figured this out in a more (laughs) simplified way. And as I was cooking it, something was in my head going, why does this type of cooking look so familiar to me? You don't need to be a meat eater if you could figure this out because you get everything you need in each one of her recipes. I ate this so fast. But but totally satisfied, right? Absolutely. And and, uh, Faith, honestly, we do this every week. How many times by the time we get into the studio after we eat, you're like, oh, that was good, but I'm kind of hungry again. I'm totally satisfied. No. And that's how she does it. Okay. All right. So tell me what you did, Christopher. So, potatoes. You're welcome. Again, uh, and this is, it takes a little time, but this is an easy recipe. Okay. Take potatoes, put them on the stove and some water, a little bit of salt, and bring them up to a simmer. Cook them for about 25 minutes. But while you're doing that, you get the rest of it ready. And it starts with melting a couple tablespoons of butter in a pan. And you get your drained chickpeas. This is one of her pantry items. Again, chickpeas protein. Canned. Canned, drained. Oh, and, you ki- and you get them in a pan and you kind of toast them this is a way that oh. she gets the flavor right so if you would put so these in like butter five minutes yeah but if you put these in butter and just sort of swirl them around and then continue the recipe you're not going to get the same thing as she does when she gets them in there for five to seven minutes in the butter getting them nice and toasted mm-hmm. right you're adding more flavor to it and when you're not using meat you need that kind of thing and can i say that when i have canned chickpeas they feel to me as if i'm eating chickpeas that haven't been cooked enough Yes, and, Chalky, and Chris, yeah. you are so right on with all this because this is exactly what I'm trying to do. Is I love browning things because it brings up flavor and faith. You can brown canned chickpeas 
and it really, really helps the texture wow. and the flavor. And it's the one thing I do recommend that people cook themselves as, as opposed to the other canned beans, but you can also use canned too. So. Okay. Good, good. Mm-hmm. I add in there. So, Chris, then you, in that, that yeah. same pan, you added those added chopped the gar- yeah. greens. No, you add garlic first, and you get yeah. that going a little bit, and then you add your greens in there, cook that, right, get them wilted and nice, and then you what you really do is sort of so push that off about to the Swiss side. Chard. Can yeah. I just Swiss chard, spinach, broccoli, young kale, yep. whatever you want. We use baby or kale because kale. that's what's coming out of the <laughs> garden right now is baby kale. So that's what I yeah. used. And then once it's wilted, you sort of push it off to the side. Mm-hmm. So you open up a space in the pan. Now your potatoes are done. You drain them, right? You add a little bit of butter back to that side of the pan and you throw your potatoes in a hole. And I love this. You take a back of a spoon or a potato masher and you just sort of give them one pop that sort of flattens them, crushes them a little bit, mm. but still leaves them in big pieces. So and that's you, where yeah, that texture came from. Again, and oh, then yeah. you take that and you sort of get them nice and you start browning them. Then you mix it all up. You sort of get it into a nice hash looking thing and you go back and brown it. So now you have all this stuff mixed together. You leave it in one big pile and you brown one side of it. And then with a spatula, you very carefully flip it and you have this one big thing. Mm. Again, extra uh. crispiness, extra flavor from oh. the browning. And then her sauce on the Fantastic. side is a little sour cream and chives. So oh, good. wait. The secret ingredient, and this is another great thing. You add a little bit of vinegar or hot sauce at the end because that just it. brightens it all mm. up. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and if you're not a hot sauce person, you can't have it. You could just lemon vinegar. juice. Yeah, or vinegar yeah. or whatever. You know, we are big mm. Frank's hot sauce oh, fans God. on the show. <laughs> so, <laughs> just like a couple glugs and, then, and we were, yeah, and then oh, my God. Sour cream and chives on the side. Really, oh, Susie. Chris, that was such a good description. Thank you. <laughs> it, you know why? Because we just ate it, and it's just it's still with yeah. me, and it is such a great tasting dish. Can I tell you, we are really excited because Susie and her publisher have allowed us to put that hash recipe on our website and also to put the avocado toast recipe on our website at yeah. foodschmooze.org. Susie, thank you so much for that. And we have one more at the website we're going to tell you about. Avocado toast for lunch and the chickpea hash for dinner and you're set. Yeah. There you go. You're, you're, there you go. You're two-thirds vegetarian, <laughs> yeah. and I guess you can have meat at breakfast. Have it. Right? Like, those are proving to already be the two of the most popular recipes in the book that ah. people are, are cooking a lot of. So you well, that. see, to Robin, this was, these are mm. big votes from Robin, so oh, I'm going to give her credit. <laughs> Robin's uh, best. <laughs> <laughs> she is the best. I think so, too. Okay, this is a recipe for the Spring Farmer's Market Stir Fry. Now... You say spring on the recipe, but the fact is that throughout so much of the year, because of the world we live in, uh, we on the show are not uh, necessarily these practitioners of you only eat what grows within two minutes of your house. So we can get a lot of things year-round, and during the season when things are flooding the markets, to do a stir-fry like this, wow, are you in heaven. You can do it in a stir-fry pan. You can do it in all kinds of ways. So... Susie, tell us about this. You're working with Japanese turnips. Where are we going to get those? Hmm. <laughs> well, I love them. I've been growing them in the garden and selling them at my farm stand. And I'm. this is one of those ones where I'm pushing a little bit towards something that is not as readily available, but I'm hoping it will be soon. I think we've all seen them at farmer's markets, but they're not yet in grocery stores. But the interesting thing about this little stir-fry that's in a miso broth is it's got radishes in it, too. And with both the young Japanese turnips and the radishes, I separate greens from the roots. 
dice them or cut them into wedges, the roots, and stir-fry them and then throw the greens in afterwards. So you could do this with carrots or um, kohlrabi or any other sort of springish type, even green beans, any kind of vegetable if you can't find the turnips. Is this a gluten-free recipe? Do you know if there's any? Yes. It is gluten-free. So miso can be both with gluten and without gluten. I think that's correct. Soy can have gluten. I don't know about miso. So there is a gluten-free miso Mm -hmm. out there for people who are gluten-free because we're Mm -hmm. really focusing on gluten-free stuff today. So just know that. You can go to your health food store and I'm sure find it or online. And I love the fact that she's cooking radishes. I do this all the time. I have never done that. Yeah, we usually just eat radishes with a little salt or butter, right? in the yeah. spring when they come up, but it is a great vegetable to cook. And I think radish is number 74 on the popularity. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's much well, higher. Oh, much definitely higher. much higher. Right, much after, higher. right after eggplant. But, <laughs> but wait, if you, if you <laughs> from a farmer's point of view, or if you're shopping at this mm-hmm. time of year, they're like the only thing, you know? Yep. So right. my goal is to tell people that you can do something with them. You know, you can cook with them. Susie, we had to because we use a local farm all year round, and one of the things our farm sellers is watermelon radish. And I don't know what it is about the watermelon radish, but around here, it grows like a weed. And no matter how little he plants, he gets a ton of it. In March, when it's the only thing left in the cellar, we cook a lot of it. Okay, so we have about a minute left in this segment, (laughs) I'm sad to say. But this uh, recipe for, and you can have some fun with it yourself, depending on what you find in your market, farmer's market or supermarket even. But just to do this kind of vegetable stir-fry You can do it in a regular pan. You could do this on the grill and assemble it, and it would be exactly like a stir-fry. So it is the farmer's market stir-fry, and look for, Chris says, these baby Japanese turnips are all around at farmer's markets in in our region. Mm -hmm. So, um, And I'm sure on the east end of Long Island, also our region, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, just look for them, Japanese turnips. This recipe on our website, foodschmooze.org. Susie Middleton has been our returning guest. Her book is called Simple Green Suppers. So vegetable-based plus one. You add one thing to make it feel like a real meal. A great, great idea, and I think a fresh strategy on one dish. Uh, Vegetarian cooking. And um, a lot of this, of course, Mm gluten-free. Susie, thank you so much for being on the show. Faith, thanks so much for having me, and you guys have a great day. And don't eat any more potatoes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the healthful vegetable. We're going to be coming to your vegetable stand one of these days on Martha's Vineyard. Bye, Susie. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We're on WNPR Thursdays at 3, Saturdays at noon, weekdays. Listen for my 60-second food schmoozes. And remember, never eat more than you can lift. In New Haven, I'm Faith Middleton. Thanks for listening to the podcast on your schedule. And when you need a little party in your life, we're here and online all the time at foodschmooze.org. And of course, also on Facebook at Faith Middleton Food Schmooze. See you there.